Thank you, worship team. Morning, church. Good to see you this morning. You have your Bibles. Open up to Mark chapter 4. I will be able to... Pastor John is on vacation this week and next week, and so uh, I'll be sharing with you this morning. Obviously, that's why I'm up here. <laughs> and, then next, uh, and then next Sunday, Corey Ogburn will be preaching. Um, so yeah, looking, looking forward to it. Brian, if you don't need... Are you going to sit up here? Oh, okay. Because I can, I can do without it. Yeah, I can do without it. That's... Hey, look at that. Hey, look at that. Last, last service, in the, very, in the very first song, it was talking about, like, God thunders, and then, the, like, the thing started, like, flashing. I thought, whoa, that's a cool feature. I didn't know we had that in Media Shout. I like that. And then the whole thing went dead. So, I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess it is a glitch. I was trying to think the best. <laughs> well, so this morning, we are in, uh, we're looking at the, the parable of the mustard seed. And, you know, sometimes when I've been asked to preach just one message, I think, okay, like, what do you preach on? Because there's the whole Bible, and then there's all great stuff all through it. And so, usually in those moments, I like to think through, okay, what's God teaching me? What, is, what have I been thinking about? What's been on my mind? What's, you know, what have I been trying to, trying to do better? Where's the Lord trying to grow me in, in my life? And so um, we, we had beach camp last week. Our high school ministry just came back from beach camp. And so uh, this, this parable has been very much on my mind. It's something I try and keep in front of me. In, in high school ministry, we as a volunteer staff, uh, uh, the, the volunteer staff, we, we talk about this a lot, try and keep it in front of them, uh, because there's some, a, a really profound, deep truth in that that I think working with students and children especially uh, is, is very important to remember, and I'll talk about that in just a minute. So that's um, a little bit of the background of why we're, why we're here this morning. Um, so again, if you have your, if you've got your Bible, Mark chapter four, we're going to be in verses uh, thirty to thirty-two. I've got it right there. If you didn't bring your Bibles, <clears throat> but it says, and he, Jesus, speaking about Jesus, said, "With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet." When it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in it in its shade. To give you a little background to this text uh, and you know, just, just some of the things behind it, when, when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, he talks about it here, he talks about it all through Mark, um, Matthew and Luke as well, especially he, it's, you'll either read the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. It's important to, to realize and to understand what he's talking about, really, for this, for this text to make sense. What he is not saying, what he is not talking about, he's not talking about heaven, he's not talking about, about paradise, he's not talking about uh, some place with physical boundaries, some place that you'll go too far in the future. What he is talking about, when, when Jesus refers to the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, he is talking about the reign, his reign and rule as Lord in the lives of the people who choose to follow him. 
So the kingdom of God is not, as I said, a physical boundary, a physical place like all other earthly kingdoms. It is, it is his reign as king in the life of his followers, of his people. So, and, and that's, that was true for his listener, his original audience, and it's true today. So as you take yourself more and more, take yourself off the throne of your life, and more and more put him on the throne of your life, as you continue to make him king, you are growing the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is becoming more a part of your life. You are, more, you are becoming more a citizen of the kingdom of God as you make Jesus king, as you say, all right, Lord, you be Lord. I am no longer going to be Lord in this area of my life. Um, the song, and it's one of my favorite, favorite songs ever, but I, uh, I could just shout the, the phrase uh, that we just sang, um, where he says, all right, my mind just went blank on <laughs> it. Uh, where he says, I have, I suddenly panic. Where he says, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. You see, that song embodies what Jesus is talking about here. And every word that Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, that's, that's what we're talking about. That's the kingdom of God at work. More and more where you say, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me. You see what that's communicating is that I'm leaving that behind. I am now following Jesus. I'm picking up my cross and following him. That's the kingdom of God at work. Make sense? That's really important to understand, not just for understanding this parable, but for understanding every word that Jesus talks about when he talks about the kingdom of God is like. And in this parable, as, as in all parables, and that's one other thing I, I just want to mention really quick, is that, is that parables um, teach and communicate. They take very simple, common, everyday truths, everyday um, objects that, that the listening audience would be very familiar with, and the, Jesus uses them to make a profound, true statement and to communicate one very, very important truth. Um, so in this case, he takes a mustard seed, something that the, that the listening audience would be very, very familiar with. Mustard grew all over the place in, in this area, and they would be very familiar with it. They, and they're familiar with the idea that mustard seed communicates little bitty things. In our day and age, we use a speck of dust, a grain of rice, uh, you know, a gnat, the, the head of a pin. We use things like that that when, when someone says that, we think tiny. Um, in this day and age, when Jesus said mustard seed, instantly the people would think tiny. So he uses that, and yet he, he uses it and what it turns into to communicate a very profound truth about what the kingdom of God is like. I want to give you a little background to mustard seed. If you look, that's a, a picture of mustard. What, what mustard seed, when, when Jesus talked about mustard seed, that's what they would have thought when they, saw, when they saw mustard seed. You can see it's really very, very tiny, and yet it grows into something very large and very, very significant. Um, that's, I like uh, the, the one on, the, on your left. Um, I like how, you know, come, come to Israel, visit our visit our mustard, rip it out of the ground. <laughs> I imagine the Israeli, you know, agricultural department probably doesn't like that too much. But anyway, darn tourists. Um, but you can see that, that it grows into something very, very significant from something very, very small and very tiny origins. And I think this is also, what this says about the kingdom is also very typical of Jesus and in his in his communication about what the kingdom is like. You see, when I imagine his, his listening audience, when he first started to say the kingdom of God is like, they would think 
they were probably thinking earthly kingdoms. And they were probably thinking he was going to use something very grand, very significant, very, something very profound to communicate what it's like. They would probably think, you know, I mean, if you've read in Psalm, the Psalms, they talk about the, the cedars of Lebanon. They probably, you probably would have thought of that, that. They didn't have, they wouldn't have been familiar with sequoias, but if he was saying this in today's modern day language, they probably would have thought, oh, like the, like the great giant sequoias or, you know, the great mountains or something very grand or, or the holy temple or the, one of the palaces or something. They would have thought immediately Jesus is going to say something grand, significant to communicate the grandeur of the kingdom. But then Jesus flips it on its head, and he says it's like a mustard seed. Probably would have thought, what? Like a mustard seed? But Jesus does this all the time. In fact, we call it the upside-down kingdom. We call Jesus' kingdom the upside-down kingdom because he reverses common cultural ideas and just just common things. So he says the first, if, if you want to be first, you have to be last. Um, if you want to gain your life, you have to lose it. See, he does this way. He always has this way of flipping things around. In this day and age, and same as, same as in this today's culture, if you want to be first, man, you got to— it doesn't matter who you step on, who you, who you destroy, whose reputation you pounce. The, the ends justify the means, right, in today's culture. But to be a follower of Jesus, to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, if Jesus is king, he says, no, no, you want to be first, you have to be last. And he does the exact same kind of thing here where he reverses things on his head. He says the kingdom is not like something huge and profound and grand and splendid. It's like a grain of mustard seed. And he, what he's, he's communicating profound truths what his kingdom is like. I think it's important to remember, just to, just to pick up on very quickly um, as, as we're looking through this text, that he's not saying that the kingdom of God is very small. He's saying that it appears small in its beginning. It appears to be insignificant. It appears to be very, very tiny and unimportant. But it grows into, it slowly, steadily, consistently grows into something very large, very profound, very, uh, very great. He's saying that the growth is silent. It's below the surface. It's slow. It's progressing very slowly. But eventually, it grows into be the largest bush around, so large that it actually is able to provide nests and cover for all the birds in the area. And Jesus is comparing its small, insignificant beginning with its significant and large final project. So it's important to, it's important to remember that as we, as we look and understand and, and um, interpret this, this parable. But what is Jesus trying to tell his audience? What is, he, what is he trying to communicate? What's the truth of the kingdom that he is trying to communicate to his original audience and to us as well? Uh, number one, and I think, I think there's two things. Number one is that he's ultimately pointing to himself. He is the king of the kingdom. He is the mustard seed in one sense. According to earthly standards, he's a, he's a nobody. According to earthly standards, he was born out of an illegitimate relationship in a, in a, in a stable in a backwoods, nowhere town, and he is some just, you know, blue-collar job guy. He's a nobody, and he's, and he's preaching. He's not going to the elite preaching to them. He's, he's going to lepers, and he's going to, you know, the tax collectors, and he's going to just fishermen, and, and he's kind of sharing the good news with them. From earthly standards, he appears to be very, very insignificant. Yet his reign and his influence as king— and his kingdom itself is growing slowly but surely. It's growing in a way that, that seems and appears slow and small and insignificant, but it is growing. 
And those people who were once opposing him are now calling him king. But he's communicating something else about his kingdom, and this is important. He's also telling his people what his kingdom is all about and what truly matters. He's saying, he's telling his people what truly matters in his kingdom. And this is really the the main point this morning, is that in God's kingdom, the things which matter most often appear to be the most insignificant. If you're taking notes, this is worth, this is worth putting, you know, hanging on to and remembering because it's so easy to forget. We get so swayed by our culture where, where the, the, the big important people, the big important events, that's what really matters. You know, just a little simple everyday things, calling a friend, having coffee with someone you know is struggling, reaching out to somebody, stopping in the midst of our busy schedule to say hi to someone at church. You know, when you've got to go from point A to point B and you see that person at church that you know you need to like just stop or that new person, um, you know, when you don't have time for that, Jesus is saying those small, insignificant things, those things which appear to be unimportant, those are actually the most important things. Those are the things which actually are the most significant Again, Jesus himself had the appearance of insignificance. The places he went to, the people he ministered, the people he chose to be his disciples all point to the reality that the, most ins- the things that appear to be the most insignificant, the things that appear to be the most, most worthless, the most mundane, are actually the most significant. I read this quote by Scott McKnight in his book, Jesus Creed. Really good book. I encourage you to read it. And he says this, He said, why does a mustard seed attract comparison to the kingdom of God? Because for Jesus, the kingdom is about the ordinariness of loving God and loving others, in which in his book he says that's that's what he labels as the Jesus creed, loving God and loving others. The kingdom is as common as sparrows, as earthy as backyard bushes, as routine as breakfast coffee, and as normal as aging. He hallows the ordinary act of love, making it extraordinary. Instead of finding it in the majestic, Jesus sees God's kingdom in the mundane. The kingdom of God is the transforming presence of God in ordinary humans who live out the Jesus creed, which again is loving God and loving others. So how do we apply this to our lives? How do we, how do we live this out? How do we allow, how are ways that we can allow this idea of the mustard seed the idea that the insignificant things are the most significant, how do we let that change our thinking? How do we live it out in our lives? How do we make it a priority? Number one is that we use God's standards to judge worth and significance. We use God's standards to judge worth and significance. We say that the the things that God labels as most significant— To us, we allow those things to be most significant. In other words, we don't let the world dictate to us what has worth and what has significance. I read this book on time management and organization maybe a year and a half ago. It's a good good book, small, cheap, right up my alley. Uh, Easy to read. Um, Not a lot of big words. And in this book, it was was really good. It was was written by a guy who wasn't a Christian, and there was some really good advice in there. A lot of things I, I... took to heart and put into practice. Um, But early on, I really, really struggled with one of the things that he said. And he he was communicating how you can't get time back, how minutes matter, how, how, you know, making the most of your time is important, which, which is true. 
But he said that when he was worked in, in, corporate, in a corporate office, he put a sign, or he put, uh, printed off the number uh, 1,440, and he put it, on a, put it on a piece of paper outside of his office door. And 1,440 is how many minutes you and I have in every single day. And he did it because employees, some of his, his, some of his workers would come knock on his door and say, hey, you got a minute? And they'd want to talk. And he would use it um, to, to tell them, basically, my minutes are important, so don't waste my time. I thought, wow, that's pretty harsh in one, in one sense, because he's saying basically my time and my minutes are far more important than you are or anything you have to say to me. Um, don't, don't bug me, basically. What that's communicating is that, is that people are just a way to produce a product in the corporate world. People are a means to an end. And he illustrated that. Um, I, I really struggle with the idea because I don't see... I don't see Jesus doing that. Compare that to um, a video I saw. I, I, well, if you've read the book Love Does by Bob Goff, a uh, really great book. He's a, he's a loves and follows Jesus. Uh, he's a speaker and an author, a really amazing, profound, funny guy. And in his book, he literally puts his cell phone number, his personal cell phone number in the back of the book, and you can call him. I've done it several times, and he will answer, and he'll talk to you. He's not, you don't get a voice recording, you don't get a secretary, you get him, and he'll answer anywhere that he's at. He talks about, I saw it one time, or I heard him speaking one time. He goes, yeah, my calls usually start around like 6.30 in the morning. They go until about 10 or 11 o'clock at night. He goes, it's ruined my life. It's great. But I saw this video where he was being interviewed by this 12 or 13-year-old girl is really pretty funny, but he said some amazing things there. And in the middle of the interview, he stops and he explains the story, he explains the cell phone thing to her. He goes, I'm getting a call right now from Kansas. You want to answer and see who it is? And she's like, sure. So he answers and he talks to this guy and he's laughing and joking. He's like, okay, well, got to go. I'll talk to you later. And, and he goes back to the interview and he said something in, in the middle of that. And he said, I think that people don't follow vision so much as they follow availability. And he said, I think that's what was so captivating about Jesus, is that people saw that he always had time for him. And you see that in his stories. He was on his way to heal someone's daughter uh, who, was, who was sick and dying, and in the middle of it, he gets just touched by this woman who was unclean, who had been sick for years, and I think she, there was a great deal of shame in that, and she, she didn't want to, like, make it public. She just knew that, but she knew that if she just touched his robe, that, he would be, that she would be healed. And he knew what happened, and he knew who it was, but in spite of all that, he stops everything. He stops his busy schedule. He was a man in high demand, and he says, who touched me? And he, he did that because he wanted to draw her out, and he wanted to he wanted to call out her great faith, and he wanted to put an end to her shame. He took time for her. In the midst of all he had to do, in the midst of all the people crowding around, clamoring around, he took time for one sick person. And he does it over and over and over and over again. He was always available. In him, the, the, the small insignificant things had the most significance. Those were the most profound things. Those were the most important things. So we need to use God's st standards to judge worth and significance. Here's, here's how we do it. Are you a person— Yes, then you have significance. If you are a person, then you are worth the cross. Then to God, you are worth a son. So if that is, if, if you are significant to God, if that's God's standard, then, then folks, we need to see the people around us as the most significant thing, as the most important thing. We need to use God's standards to judge worth and significance. The sec second one, second way of how we, how we let this change our thinking, we invest in what God says is the most significant. We invest in what God says is the most significant. 
I read this cartoon. I don't know if you like Calvin and Hobbes. I do. But I, <laughs> I, know, here in class, I grew up uh, reading Calvin and Hobbes. I love what he says. It's hard to know what's important in life. And this is, if you ever know Calvin and Hobbes, he, uh, his, his wagon is where he does all his philosophizing. Philosophizing? Whatever that word is. In life, he thinks about life, profound, deep truths. But he says, we don't notice the small stuff. We're never prepared for the big stuff. What about the stuff in between? Hobbes asks. He says, oh, that's boring. He says, let's hope bumbling along without a clue is important. I love this. According to the ads, fresh breath and dry armpits are crucial. <laughs> I love that. I love that. But isn't it true? If you want to know what our society values and says is important, watch TV. Listen to the, listen, just watch ads. Listen to all the ads. And that's what society identifies as important. But guys, as believers, as followers of King Jesus, as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we need to not let TV and society dictate what matters most. We need to let God's word dictate and tell us what matters most, what is the most significant. Number three is that we trust that the future results are worth the immediate cost. We trust that the future results are worth the immediate cost. The idea behind this parable is that what is being, what's being sown, what's being invested, you can't, you can't look at a seed and determine its, its worth. If you just look at it for what it is, it appears to be insignificant. It appears to be worth, worthless. But the sower knows that that's not the final product. The sower knows that by planting the seed and caring for it and investing in it, eventually, slowly but surely, it will grow into something significant. It will grow into something profound that produces even more seeds. So how does this apply to us? Guys, we need to, we need to know that what we are doing, what we are investing in now, will, in the future, reap rewards, that in the future there will be a payoff, that there will be future results to our immediate investment, our immediate cost. This is why, this is why we refer to, as I was mentioning at the very beginning, this is why we refer to this parable and think about it and talk about it so much in student ministries, is because we know that all that we're pouring into this next generation doesn't always have immediate payoffs and rewards. Definitely, we see God at work in people's lives, and that's, that is like the greatest thing ever. But we know that sometimes, oftentimes, the things that we're pouring into these students now doesn't always pay off in the immediate future. Sometimes it takes years, decades for them to grow and mature, and they, they're still growing. You and I are as well. I want to talk about, for a moment, I, I want to take a, a minute and kind of springboard off of this last truth, the idea that we trust the future results, that the future results are worth the immediate cost. And I want to draw attention to a, a profound and great need in our church. And I'm not using this sermon. It actually didn't dawn on me until after I'd already chosen to do this sermon. Um, but there is a profound need in, in children's ministries. Brittany talked about it, that there is 71 spots needed for children's workers. 71 p adults or students who are needed to share the gospel and to share Jesus' love with children. That is a profound need. And we, as people, as citizens of the kingdom, have to have the eyes to see that, you know what, this isn't just childcare. If we wanted to, we could just put all the kids in one big room and turn on a movie and just walk away, and we would call it babysitting. 
We would, we, that's what the world does, right? Little children are insignificant. Don't bug us. We have more important things to do. And you know what? Jesus' people, the people around Jesus were the exact same way. Matthew 19, then the children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Folks, that is kingdom work going on across the grass area over there. That is the most important thing that we can be doing. And for us to just allow 70 spots to go unfilled, for us to allow classrooms to not be open because there's not an adult who's willing to take one Sunday out of the month and sit and tell kids about Jesus, we've got to put our our kingdom lenses on. We've got to take the lenses of this world off and put our kingdom lenses on because that is the most important thing that we can be doing. From the outset, they look like mustard seeds. They, they, but we have to have the eyes to see the mustard plant at the end. We have to have the eyes to see the end result. We have to have the eyes to see that the initial investment is worth the cost. We have to know the end result is going to be. One more Calvin and Hobbes for you. I love that. He screams, I'm significant. He looks up at the stars, scream the dust speck. When I was a kid, I really didn't get that one. That one was the one I kind of brushed over. But I think these kids are not going to scream how significant they are. They are going to just dutifully do and go wherever we tell them to do. They would probably be happy if we put on a movie. But, but, but we have to realize how significant they are. We have to realize they are, they are the most important thing. If Jesus took time out of his busy schedule to say, let the children come to me. And he probably wasn't like, all right, all your children, sit down. Let me preach this sermon. I imagine him laughing with them and playing with them and being goofy and just being a big kid himself. I started thinking this week, I started thinking this week about um, people that were, and events that were significant in my life growing up. Times when I was just a, a little bitty mustard seed and people took time to invest in me. I was thinking about some of these things and there's many more. I'm glad that a woman... In, at Ventura Missionary Church in late 80s, maybe early 90s, saw the significance in teaching a Sunday school class that I was in. And in that Sunday school class, she shared the gospel. I remember her telling us about the importance of asking Jesus into our heart and sharing what that meant, what that implied. I remember thinking about that and later on, in my, in my, on my own, giving my life over to Jesus. She never knew. To this day, still, I, I have no idea what her name is. I can kind of picture her face a little bit. Um, Never would have known that it would have changed my life. I'm glad that a pair of adult volunteers from Porterville Evangelical Free Church chose to spend a summer, I want to say Sunday nights, and they led a Bible study in their home for a bunch of squirrely junior high boys, including this one, who were, would much rather have laughed and goofed and talked about all things that junior high boys laugh and giggle at and we, us adults still do as well, don't lie. Um, we, we would have much rather been doing those things, but I remember these adults, and they, they read from a Bible study book, and I remember their example. I remember their faithfulness. I remember their passion. Uh, in those moments, I didn't get all of those things, but as I grew, I, I think back about those things a lot, and I thought, you know what? Those guys could have done way more things. They could have done other things with their time, things that were more important. But they saw that that was the most important thing because they had kingdom eyes. They had kingdom lenses on. When I first started coming to this church, I was a sophomore, into my sophomore year in high school, 
hardly knew anyone, and on kind of, I was terrified. But on a whim, I went to a, a high school fellowship at the Racquetball Club, um, and there was an adult volunteer, Alicio Lazardo, and he chose to play tennis with me. He could have hung out with all the cool kids. He could have, you know, you know, had fun, goofed around, been with kids that he knew, but he chose to play tennis with this, this kid that, that didn't know anyone, was still squirrely and goofy. Um, that was May, I think, 2001. I'm glad that Scott Jeffrey decided to be a grow group leader to a bunch of still weird, still squirrely high school boys who, again, probably would have been a, rather talked about other things. But I remember him like, guys, stop. Just give me, give me 15 minutes. We'll go through the lesson. Then you can stop. Stop playing. Guys, stop playing with the toys in the room. Stop messing around. Would you please just focus here? Or we would say things and he's like, okay. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. But you know what? That stuff makes, it, makes an impact. That stuff has stayed with me, and I've remembered the things we've talked about. I remember their example more than anything else. I'm glad that this church has committed so much of its time and resources into training those called to the ministry through the intern program. I am a direct result of that. Mustard seeds, guys. The world looks at it and says insignificant, unimportant, but we need to have the eyes to look at those things around us and say, what is the, that is the most important thing we need to invest in. Who's, who's someone that you know that you need to invite out to coffee and just sit and talk to? Who is someone that you need, know you just need to write a postcard to and just say, hey, you know what? You've been on my mind. I'm thinking about you. I'm praying about you. I'm glad that we serve at the same church together. You're a joy and a blessing to me. Something like that. that might, the world looks at that and says, what a waste. What a waste of time. There's more important things to do. But Jesus says, that's a mustard seed. That's the most significant thing you can do. We're going to go into a time of communion. Um, so as, as, citizens of, as citizens of this kingdom, we, have, we need to have kingdom eyes. But we need to realize that the kingdom is not something we earn our way into. The kingdom isn't something that we go to or are a part of because we are so good. We need to realize that our position, our role, our, our place as citizens of the kingdom was bought and paid for on the cross through the blood of Jesus. We are citizens of the kingdom solely and only because of him. But as citizens of the kingdom, we need to put on the lenses of the kingdom. We need to look at the world around us through kingdom eyes. We stop regularly and we take communion because we remember that our place in the kingdom was bought and paid for by Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body for you. I'm going to pray for us, and a few gentlemen would wait upon us. God, we stop now, and we once again recommit ourselves to you. God, uh, going forward, May we have kingdom eyes. May we see the significant things around us. May we see the divine appointments that you have planned for us. God, we realize that it is only by your death and sacrifice and, uh, on the cross that, that we are even able to do that, that we can be, a, that we can be members of the kingdom, um, that we are not opponents of you, that we are no longer enemies of you, but we are your children, we are your citizens, Lord. Uh, God, we, may we remember those things this week. We love you, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen.